Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here as always. The Greatest Games Podcast is a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. We don't put any limits. It could be their time as a CYO coach, a B-team coach, a head coach, whatever they want to tell us about, just a game they consider to be their greatest game. So we're going back to Saddle River, New Jersey today with our guest today who just finished his fifth year at Saddle River Day, not Saddle Brook, Saddle <laughs> River Day School, Coach Anthony Gallo. Welcome into the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, to do this podcast. And just to confuse everybody, especially people that don't know myself and Anthony and Dan G and Freddie, who we had on previously, uh, Anthony played at Saddlebrook High School, where I yeah. am currently the varsity coach, where Dan G and Freddie was the varsity coach and the freshman coach, and I was also the freshman coach, and I replaced Anthony Gallo as the freshman coach at Saddlebrook High School when he took the job at Saddle River Day School. Yeah, a lot, a lot of jumping around there, uh, and G. I don't. I, there was a lot of going on there, but uh, G, G and Freddie was actually my was the freshman coach my senior year. So it's yeah. all all craziness, craziness. It's the, I know Brian's head is now completely spinning as I went through all of that. Yep, I'm just gonna take my headphones off and let y'all just take this from here on out because I can't wrap my mind around it. No, it sounds like an incredible carousel, and it's so cool to see how things are connected and. Coach G, he was awesome to have on the show, and he was uh, uh, had, had some great stories to tell, and I think we've got some great stories from you here, Coach, who can't wait to hear all about it. Coach, ahead, Gallo was, uh, Coach Gallo was a part of some very successful teams as a player, definitely in his time at uh, Saddlebrook High School. We're hoping uh, we can make him proud and, and get back to those days, but he's doing a fine job coaching at Saddle River Day School. So, Anthony, why don't you kind of give us your resume in coaching basketball and what led you to, to be where you are today? So, um, right at leading back to uh, the good old glory days of Saddlebrook basketball, uh, my senior year, we had a fantastic year. And kind of as I transitioned um, to college, I didn't have a, a whole lot of opportunities because I didn't take care of my classwork um, in school, and it kind of limited me basketball-wise. So I actually did two years of – uh, Juco at Bergen Community, where I really got my got my stuff together. I got organized, and it allowed me to kind of continue my basketball dream. Um, so I played two years at Bergen, actually, and we were we were really good for the two years that I was there. We placed uh, third nationally for the Division Three Juco twice. Um, so my second year, you know, playing at BCC, um, we were loaded. I had no business, you know in the rotation. Um, and I, I got a lot, a lot of time from the sideline for the first time. And I think that's really when I, I developed a passion for coaching and knew that I kind of wanted to pursue it. So, you know, heading after that, I, I wound up at Rutgers after two years at Bergen and got involved with the Rutgers basketball team. Um, and it was an awesome experience just being able to see things from a college level. Um, and kind of see how they run and, and organize a program. Um, fast forward a couple of years, I, I did a year of volunteer experience under Coach Ozzie at, uh, at Dwight Morrow. And again, you know, I, I would say I, I have some of, 
have had the, some of the best mentors um, in my short term experience as a young coach. Um, coach Ozzy was awesome. It was a great year there. Um, following that, I did a year at my uh, hometown of Saddlebrook uh, with uh, Coach Galenius. Um, and, you know, next one thing led to another and the opportunity opened up at Saddle River Day. And, you know, here we are five years later. I, I couldn't have been happier of how things kind of turned out for me. I'll tell you, it's, it's been a theme on this show. We've had several coaches on that have been student managers at Division One programs. So I, I want to dive right in with that but being my first question here. What, what did you learn as a student manager that is now really informing your decisions? And it, I'm assuming it might be several things, but tell us about that experience and how it's really uh, informing some of your decisions and how you do things now as a high school coach. I mean, it, working at Rutgers, it was, it was just a great way to see passion at an extremely high level. Coach Rice was one of the most energetic coaches you would ever, you know, uh, work beside or work with. Um, and it really showed the, the passion side of it and um, the accountability that it takes to win at a Division I level. Um, Coach Rice did a great job of holding people accountable and, and kind of bringing the best out of them. And I would like to say that some of that has definitely carried and stayed with me um, as I started my head coaching experience and trying to build an identity and a culture at Saddle River Day, um, which has led, you know, to a lot of a lot of good times so far in my, my short coaching career. Yeah, you mentioned, Anthony, you mentioned your mentors and in your short time, you definitely have had some great ones. Like you talked about working for Coach Rice. Then you went back to work for uh, the coach that you played for in, in BG at, at Saddlebrook. And then you worked yep. for Osborne, who's as well-respected in the Bergen County community as anybody. And then up at Saddle River Day, you had the opportunity through, you, through uh, your friendship and, and working with Danny Brown, who yep. is one of the best coaches in New Jersey, boys, girls, Absolutely. or any Absolutely. otherwise. Talk about some things you've learned from those different mentors that have helped you along the way. So I would say if, if there was anything that I, that I took away from, and you know, Blas, you know all four of those individuals, just the, the intensity um, in which what, you know, the, the energy that they kind of bring to the table. I mean, Danny Brown is, is uh, as great of a job in, in terms of just having a passion and, and a desire to win and just kind of bringing the best out of his girls. Coach Ozzy, same way, super passionate. Um, and if you've ever seen Mike Rice coach, I mean, there were many times where he walked off the court um, and went to do a post-game interview, and he sounded like a 13-year-old a boy that just was hitting puberty because, you know, he was just coaching and yelling and screaming. And it was just – it was great to kind of see the level of passion that a lot of my mentors have shown. And, you know, I would like to think if you asked, you know, some of my kids in the past, you know, I, I feel like I do a good job of getting revved up, you know, in those big time games, um, which really, I think, helps give our team an edge. So speaking of getting revved up for big time games, do oh, you yeah. have a, a go to pregame speech, anything that kind of keeps with over that that big games coming up on the calendar? Anything that you say, yeah, you know, I'm going to that one. Do you have a go to pregame speech? I wouldn't I wouldn't say I have a, a go to. Um, 
a lot of the stuff have been, you know, as we, we kind of head to a big game, you know, we're doing our scouts, we're doing, you know, our walkthroughs and there's always something that, you know, I try to stress and harp on and we, we always try and find something that'll motivate our guys, even the littlest of things. Again, I think if you went back and asked a lot of our kids, like those big time games, I try to, I, I try to really get our kids ready to play and fired up. And I feel like we've done a great job of, you know, heading to warm ups, so to speak, um, you know, mentally ready and, and just focused. So, you know, I, nothing specific off the top of my head, but we've always found a way to get our kids revved up, you know, revved up and ready to play. All right, coach, this is a brand new one. I just pulled this one out of the old hat here. So you're the first right. one getting this question. Great. Lucky uh, me. Game day routines or superstitions. I, I know you like your big uh, iced coffee. Do we plan out the outfit the day before? Like, what's the pregame? What's the what's the game day routine or superstitions you might have? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've I've done a couple wacky things. I mean, and again, you know, knowing kids now and dealing with kids now, they they like a lot of this wacky stuff. But for Christmas time, um, it's usually a little bit more casual. Um, so dress wise I try to go a little bit more like holiday theme I've worn you know I have like some some Kobe's that are like uh red and green the Grinches and I've worn them for Christmas I've done that um the the ongoing joke now is I have a I, I usually will wear a suit um suit no tie I, I like the the comfort of not having the tie um but I have a a silly, the kids love it, a blue button-up flower shirt um, that I wear with my blue suit a lot. And it's a comfortable shirt, and it's a good look without a tie. Um, but I've on, I only wear it on big-time moments, so to speak. And we're currently, I want to say, 2 or 3-0 and oh when I've brought out the flower shirt. And it's funny because the kids would be like, oh, coach. like you know, And they know and they see the shirt that – you know, it's a big time game and it's, it's usually, a, you know, joked upon. And that's why I kind of say like pregame wise, I don't think there's a go-to, but there's certain things that always happen that we find ways to get our kids fired up. And the shirt would definitely be, you know, a good example. One of my kids, Sebastian Giannotti was like, Oh coach, loving the shirt, you know, big time game today. I know I'm ready. You know, it's little things like that, that, you know, we find ways to get them, get them going. Nothing better than a good, a good flower shirt, you know, like just, uh, just <laughs> oh, <to> yeah, yeah. <laughs> make a statement. So now I'm curious. Um, well, well, we'll get to that in a second, but <laughs> at, at, at this point in the show, coach, you know, it's about the greatest game. So we'd love to hear about the greatest games you've ever been a part of with as much background information as you can give us and why this game is so special to you. And maybe, maybe if you wore the flower shirt, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I'll be about your greatest game. Definitely at some point uh, during that year. Um, but leading up kind of to give a little bit of a background, um, our first year, my first year as a head coach, I was 25 years old. Um, and our first year taking over at Saddle River Day, we were trying to kind of establish um, an identity and finding a way. I kind of, I named the, the handful of years um, that we went up, we were 10 and 13 that year. And it was just us kind of trying to find our way, find my way as a coach through the, through the varsity scene. Um, 
and it was kind of really a struggle, but we kind of, we had a great group of guys that year um, where they showed up to practice every single day, worked their butts off. Um, so it was a great first year for us, but it didn't necessarily result in wins and losses. But again, we had a great group of senior, uh, one senior specifically. Um, we only graduated one senior that year. Uh, and again, it was kind of a learning year for our program and myself. Second year, we wound up going 20 and five, my first 20 win season. So, you know, I don't get wrapped up in, in accolades and whatnot, but, you know, I, I have a couple other coaches like, oh, coach, great accomplishment. So, you know, that was a lot of fun. That was kind of our hump year, as I would call it, um, where we got over the hump, we won games um, and did something to kind of get us on the map. Um, we were undefeated in the league. Um, it was kind of a lot of a nice firsts for our program for me as a coach. Um, but we graduated a, a big group of uh, seniors the following year. Um, I kind of go to our hump year. We were, you know, uh, I think three, 13 and 13, right around there. I had it written down. Um, but 13 and 13, we won some games. We were kind of getting back in the mix. Um, but we just couldn't get over the hump. We lost a lot of close games that we shouldn't have. Um, and that kind of transitioned into uh, us going 26 and two the next year. And this is where we kind of uh, touch upon the, the greatest game. Um, it was just a fantastic year. 26, only two losses Our two losses um, that year were to Ramapo, which wound up winning the group three state title, I believe. And, um, wound up losing to Immaculate Conception in the first round of states. And they're, they were a big-time powerhouse and have, you know, their fair share of good players. But neither here nor there. Um, it, was just, it was just a special year. And leading up to the Teaneck game, we had a lot of, like, really genuinely good team moments. We were undefeated in the league. Um, we won the Christmas tournament for the first time. Uh, we had a Jambo bye first time in school history. We wound up winning a Jamboree game, which eventually led us think to Ramapo at FDU. I don't know if you were at that game, Blas, but we battled. And, you know, Casey Hunt gave us – Casey Hunt and Neil Quinn and, and that crew that they had with Ramapo, they just, they just gave us too many fits. But great, great experience, great environment. Um, and we wound up winning the 2019 NJIC championship. Um, and right after that, we scheduled an independent uh, game with Teaneck. Um, and Teaneck at the time was 21 and seven. Um, you know, they were a little, they had a little bit of a down year, but they still had a ton of talent, ton of talent. I think that was the year Blaza. Maybe you can uh, check me on that. It was the year after, uh, DeAndre, DeAndre Washington, and um, the uh, yeah, uh, the other little guard. Yeah, so we we kind of caught them at a, at a decent time, but nonetheless, um, they still had a ton of talent. We scheduled the independent game, um, and we weren't sure heading in, you know, exactly what to expect. We had little film on them. We knew that they had, you know, a couple leading guys, but it was a really uh let's see what our guys got type game to get them ready for states. Um, and it wound up being, you know, one heck of a game, you know, just in general. It was a game that I'll, I'll probably, you know, never forget. It was just a really special way to kind of cap off, cap off the, the season. 
What what happened in the game? Where was the game? Your place or down at Teaneck? It was a it was a so we had the NJIC championship game on a Friday night, um, and I, we scheduled for Teaneck on that Saturday. Um, so it was like a Saturday. It was a weird game. It was like a Saturday one o'clock game at the end of the season. It was just a, a spur of the moment. We both had room for a game. You know, we were having a great year, so they kind of wanted to get battle tested, I guess. Um, and we definitely wanted the challenge because that year we wound up playing, you know, IC in the first round. And I mean, I remember watching IC warm up in, in layup lines. They had six or seven kids that were six, eight or bigger. And, you know, you know, watching us play, we're, you know, we're six, four tops. So, you know, that was, it was, it was at Teaneck on a Saturday. Oop, I was muted there. Sorry, guys. No. Jeez, right? I, we've got a, I've got a lot of editing to do on this one here. So nah, I, <laughs> get, I started the trend. You get to see how the how the sausage is made here. So, all right. So let me pause for a second. And so yeah. So that's that's fascinating to me about the the season is going on, and then it's like two teams are sitting around. And it's like, well, you want to play? You want to play? And it's just like, it's just that's just really. That, that seems highly unusual to, to, for that to happen, but it sounded like two, like you said, two really good teams having two really good years just wanting to get together and to see what happens. Yeah, so depending on, in, in New Jersey at least, but depending on, I always try to leave a little bit of room um, in hopes of, of making a run in the Jamboree. So, you know, after losing to Ramapo um, at FDU, we had an extra game, and I think Teaneck was in a similar spot. So um, my assistant coach actually knew one of the assistant coaches at Teaneck, and we kind of both linked up and, and, you know, scheduled the game. Yeah, Brian, that's not an uncommon occurrence here in, in New Jersey. Teams usually leave a, a game or two for some wiggle room if you're kind of getting ready for the States. Um, Again, Anthony, just talk about do your did your kids because the last couple of years Teaneck hasn't been as good. They what they win five jamborees in a row from ten to fourteen or eleven to fifteen. I think they won five. Yeah, in they're a row. they're a public school that every single year. I mean, outside of Ramsey, the last um, year or two, but they're a public school that every single time heading into the jamboree. You know, if you're picking a favorite out of the public school group, you know, they're definitely in the mix. But, yeah, they, they had started to trend down a little. But, again, that year they still won 21 games. They weren't, you know, at the, the winning the jamboree level, but they were still – I mean, they had a, the, a couple players there. I mean, Deshaun LeCue and Nadine Tucker gave us fits in that game trying to kind of, you know, quiet, quiet them and, and pull off this upset – um, but again, still won 21 games, which, Hey, I'm sure most coaches, you know, I'm sure if I told you tomorrow of laws to win 21 games next year, it's out of, you know, it's, it's a great accomplishment. So, I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what I was saying I'm was pulling, I'm pulling for you, Blas. Did your kids understand what it's like to beat Teaneck? Like 20 years from now, they can say we beat Teaneck. That's a, I mean, that is a thing in Bergen County. If you beat Teaneck, like you said, I, I would say old. one thing that, I've never had a problem with, and I don't know if this is just the kids that I'm getting. I've never had a problem with just trying to be ready to play, being in the underdog situation. So I think that year, more so than anything, the accomplishments that we kind of had that year just led to a buildup of like, hey, like this is our year. We're, we're going to beat them. Like our kids were very – 
you know, I credit our coaching staff. I, I credit our kids. I credit, you know, partly myself. Like we get our kids ready to play and they were, they were revved up and, and jacked up for this game of all games. So I, I think going into it, you know, they were, they knew what they were up against. Um, I think it'll kind of sink in, like you said, five, 10 years when, you know, Teaneck is at the top of one of, you probably say they're probably one of the best basketball programs in, in North Jersey for a public school. They're definitely in the conversation. Over they've, the won the, they've won the most Bergen County Jamboree. Yeah, I mean, over the last 10, 15 years, I'm, I'm not a huge history buff, but, um, you know, they've, they've definitely had their fair share of success. So I think it'll sink, sink in eventually. You know how, you know, young kids are in the moment. They don't understand what it is. I can go back to my senior year, and I was as stubborn as possible. Um, but being able to reflect as a coach on some of the things we did and some of the fun that we had, um, it definitely takes a couple years to kind of sink in. So hopefully two years from now they come back and, you know, we have this laugh and conversation or they listen to this podcast and, you know, we reconnect over that. So I'm excited. You go ahead, Brian. Well, the, the actual game itself now, I've been reading your notes here that you sent in. Appreciate that. But can you walk us through um, really this the, the the nuts and bolts of it? Because I think it's just really um, some some of this information in here is really is really incredible. Yeah, I would say you know you had two teams that were that were hungry for a win um, heading into that game. Teenex certainly you know at the time I would like to think differently now, but at the time they definitely didn't want to lose to. Saddle River Day because, you know, we had just been starting to build this identity. Um, so they were definitely hungry for a win. We wanted to prove that, you know, we were kind of the new kids on the block. Um, so two teams that really, you know, while the game you would say, you know, wasn't a state tournament game, it still meant something to both teams. So it was a lot of fun kind of heading into it. Um, first half was just a tough physical game. Um, the refs kind of let us play a little, which I like, because that's why we wanted to schedule that game was to kind of get beat up a little bit and get ready for states. Um, just some of the firepower that they had, they had some big boys, um, and they kind of let us play, which I liked, you know, we were, we were back and forth. They made a little bit of a run, um, towards the end of the first half. We were kind of trying coming into the game. We, we usually play man more times than not. Um, we had worked on a little bit of zone, but not really. For the most part, we were playing man. Um, it was working, but they kind of made a run towards the end of the first half. We were down 12, and, you know, the, the second half was just filled with a lot of just good memories. I mean, I remember back even in the first half, one of our players, Kevin Ranahan, um, great kid, hard worker, um, scored his thousand point in the first half of that game. Um, he was seven points away heading into that game. Um, and you, I, I'll never forget it. You know, that first half, uh, he was super nervous and he knew he was close. He knew, you know, today was probably going to be that day. I think he averaged right around, you know, 15, 16 points for us. He knew today probably should be that day. Um, but was really forcing the issue early on in that game. Um, and I remember specifically taking him out probably about four points in, um, three away from a thousand and just trying to tell him to relax and like, you know, listen, like it's going to come, you know, you just gotta just let it happen and like take the pressure off yourself. He wound up scoring a thousand points. Um, so that was a big time moment. He was one of my first kids to ever score a thousand. 
Um, you know, so it was, a, it was a big time accomplishment for him, our program. Um, but I remember getting into halftime down 12. Um, and the, it, we had kind of mixed energy, so to speak. So Teaneck was kind of happy that they were up 12, but not really because they thought they were going to just blow us out of, you know, out of the way. Um, so they were kind of frustrated and annoyed. Um, we were still in the mix, only down 12. So it was one of those games where we were like, okay, let's regroup and, and reorganize. And our kids really bought in. I mean, a fun fact that, you know, a lot of coaches will appreciate that year. Um, we made a goal. We make goals every year, but one of our goals um, was to win a majority of our third quarters. And it kind of like the first 19 games leading up to Ramapo. Ramapo was our first game where we didn't win the third quarter. Um, and that was 20 games in. But on the year, we were 25-2 and two in the third quarter. Um, so our kids were definitely – like we went in that locker room and we had them fired up. And, you know, third quarter is our quarter. Kind of got the kids ready to play. Um, and I really felt good heading into that third quarter. Um, to kind of fast forward a little bit, we were still down 12. Um, first four minutes or so went by, and Teenex on a roughly eight to two um, run. And of course, Blas, you know, I don't know, every, every great game that I have, I never get it on film. Uh, my film guy didn't show up on a Saturday. We played Hudson Catholic this year down to the wire, losing overtime by two. My film guy misses the bus. Um, so all, all the, all these crazy games, I wanted to go back and, and fact check a couple things, but I had to use the, uh, the home book, uh, to kind of get my information. <laughs> yeah. Good times. I'll never always, always happens. Um, but anyway, we were down 18 at the time. Um, and the game was still physical. Um, but I remember specifically the foul count to be six to one. Um, and a lot of our fouls early on in that third quarter were hand checks or, you know, kind of touch fouls where, you know, again, I, I don't get on the refs much. I, I think I've only gotten teed up once, once I, I, that I recall of specifically, obviously it was this game. Um, but one that I can definitely relate to, I usually try and leave the refs alone. I try to get my kids to leave the refs alone. Uh, you know, I, I would say for a young guy, I, I do a good job of, of, uh, of staying off the refs. I wish I could say the same about Coach Nasser. Um, that's the running joke, Blas. I don't know if you know uh, Coach Nasser at all, but uh, old school guy that's always on the refs. He was my assistant coach for, for two years. Um, so that was always the joke. I was the calm one on the sidelines uh, while Nasser was giving it to some of the old refs that he had when he was a, a varsity coach uh, back in the day. So, But I actually wound up getting teed up down 18 um, and believe it or not, I did, I did it on purpose, but it was the first time that I've actually done it on purpose. I, we needed a spark, a fire. Um, so I get teed up, we're down 18 and I call timeout immediately after, um, just to try and get the kids organized. I know they had never seen me really get teed up. Maybe we've had a couple bench warnings. Um, but I kind of got on them to step it up and, and rev it up. I'm not stopping right now. Like, we got to make our run. Um, and it's, it's got to be now. We're down 18 in the middle of the third quarter. We don't have that much more time. Um, so I remember vividly coming out of that timeout. And I'm, I'm stubborn. I'm, at this point, I'm fired up on the, on the sideline. I pull up my, uh, 
my chair, which I never use. I mean, I probably sat down in five years, even when we're winning, because we're, we're up a handful of games. Even when we're winning, you'll rarely see me sitting down. But I remember pulling up my, my coaching chair all the way to basically the line where my feet wouldn't be on the court, but I was close enough. Because um, at that point, you know, I, I you know, get the tee and I'm, I'm fired up. So I'm coaching from the sidelines in a chair for the first time, which was an experience in itself. Um, but I remember talking, you know, in the timeout, we were, we were trying to set up a 2-3 zone. And uh, my kids had never really practiced zone. And we just said, hey, listen, you know, we're going to drop back in 2-3 and we're either going to trap the ball when it gets over after the first pass or not trap at all. And it really just bothered Teenek and the ball started sticking. Um, and they just started just getting out of sync and arguing with one another. I think we wound up going on a run. I want to, let me check my notes. Um, so I get this right, but I, uh, that second half down 18 from that point on, um, we went on a, a 44 to 22 run at Tina, um, to kind of pull off this miraculous upset, but I'll never forget down 18, we start climbing back and we get to about the, the four minute mark, um, four minute mark. And from this point on, it's all big play after big play. Um, a lot of their players, I mean, Dean Tucker, uh, Blas, I don't know if you've ever seen him play. I believe he was a first County all type kid. I mean, the kid was a football player. He, he posed the problem that, you know, we didn't really have an answer for big, tough, strong lefty. Um, and Deshaun McHugh started to wake up um, that second half. And it was just a back and forth type game um, from the four or five minute mark where it was just play after play, stop or steal. We'd go on a run, hit a three. Um, and we wound up, we wound up, uh, Sebastian Giannotti wound up getting really hot towards, towards the end. And I don't know exactly what he went from three. Again, if I had the video, you know, lucky me, I can't go back and watch, but if I had the video, I would say he probably went four for four from three down the stretch. Um, and we pulled off, you know, one of the, one of my definitely favorite wins of all time. Uh, you know, it just kind of really capped off that season um, with another remarkable win, another remarkable accomplishment. Um, and believe it or not, Kevin, with Kevin scoring his thousandth point um, and us winning the NJIC championship, um, we nominated Kevin Ranahan uh, for athlete of the week. Um, and he actually wound up winning it. So, I mean, I know it, what a remarkable accomplishment that was. And that was, again, it was a lot of firsts for us. My first thousand point scorer, my first athlete of the week. Um, and it just, the connectedness between our guys that year, it just made for just another cherry on top type moment. Um, just a game that I'll, you know, I'll never be able to watch again, but I just remember very vivid moments throughout that game. And it was just a lot of fun. And my kids could definitely attest to that. You know, Anthony, you talk about not having the tape and not yeah. being able to watch it. You just said it's a game I'll never be able to watch again. I'll never forget uh, when I was working in South Carolina, Dave Odom was the head coach for a bunch of the years there when I was there. And they won the 1990 – when he was at Wake Forest, they won the 1995 ACC Tournament Championship, I think over North Carolina. <laughs> and I was in my office one day, Rose, I was down in the dungeon, and I had the big TV on, and it was like ESPN Classic was playing that game. 
And Coach Odom was coming to the weight room to work out. And he walked by and he heard, like, the game. He goes, what game is that? I go, oh, that's when you won the 95 ACC championship. So he peeked his head in for a second. He looked at the game and he turned and walked away. I go, you don't want to watch this? He goes, I've never watched the tape of that game. He goes, it was good enough being there and winning. the." He goes, I don't need to ever watch a replay of that game. I was there. I know what it felt like. You know, I thought that was a really cool moment. And, I mean, you don't have the opportunity, but it, it's not as good as the day itself, even if you had it on tape. Yeah, and we, we do, you know, we, I feel like we do a good job of being prepared and watching film. And, you know, so it's – I usually get about 85 to 90% of the games. Um, but it's always the big ones where it's on a Saturday or a Friday night or someone's sick. It always seems to work out that – you know, I, I miss some of the, the best games that we have. And my kids are always like, hey, coach, like, you got the game. Like, guys, like, you know, it's on me. But, you know, we don't, we don't have this game. So I can definitely – I definitely feel the, the in-game experience. But, yeah, we won't – I won't be able to go back and watch that, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting to think about it. I've never heard that story about Coach Odom and can totally see him doing that. But, like, not having the film – like, I wonder if you did watch it, if it would cheapen it a little bit. Like, oh, I forgot. Oh, he didn't rotate over and take a charge. Like, what was he doing? You know, now it just starts to cheapen a little bit of the nostalgia of everything that's built up. And it's a, you're, uh, the, the way you tell the story is really detailed. And I think that's really – I hate that you don't have the film, but also kind of love that you don't have the film, too. You can really relive it <laughs> inside. i tell you what, though, because I've been this way as a coach. I've gotten a, a technical on purpose. How how did you and I, you know this is somewhat of a family show so uh, how did you purposely get a technical um, that game what, what do you do you remember what you said or what was what the feeling was behind that I, hey I'm going to go get this technical and this is this is going to produce a, an outcome for us so so believe it or not you know I, I've I've coached my fair fair share of um, of AAU games over the year with, with just my younger kids. I, I coach a fourth grade team, sixth grade team. So a lot of the young officials um, that coach high school, um, the good ones, um, wind up doing varsity games, but then also doing AAU in the fall or the spring, obviously some for some extra income on the weekends. Um, so actually the, the official that, that teed me up, I've had a number of times. And again, I would like to, to think that I do a great job of picking and choosing my moments um, to get on the refs and that game happened to be one of them. But I remember, you know, I kind of got on them for, I kind of got out on for a situation where, you know, they call a hand check on one end and my guy goes to the rim and two guys go to contest the shot. And there's definitely contact whether after or before. Um, and I'm looking for the same call as, as the other end. And I remember him being like, coach, that's enough. And at that point, more times than not, I stop and, and kind of bite my tongue. But at that point, you know, we needed an extra gear and I kind of kept going. I didn't say anything, um, you know, profound or not. And I just kind of kept after it. Like, you know, you gotta, you gotta be consistent, whatever, whatever the words out of my mouth, I, I'm not, I'm not sitting here trying to degrade a referee. There's always going to be times where, you know, whether I see it one way, the other coach is going to see it the other way. So I know officiating's impossible. Um, but I just kept going and kept going. And eventually he just turned and teed me up. I've actually seen him a handful of times since in the spring and, you know, he's never really said anything. So 
I guess we're good. It was just heat of the moment type situation. That's uh, so refreshing. I think we had Coach Hergate on from Leonia, who's another young coach. Stevie's great. Stevie's you, played, great. you played against him, right? You guys are about the same, or is he a little bit older than you? Uh, he's either a year older or younger, I want to say. Okay. But it's so refreshing to hear young coaches talk about officials like that. Um, that's a big pet peeve of mine, that coaches, I think, just ride officials too much and, and, and treat them with a lot of disrespect. And I literally don't say anything to officials. And I yeah. tell my kids, it's not their job. You don't ref the game. You don't worry about the scoreboard. You play the game, and I'll coach the game. And the refs will ref the game. Yeah, so it's very it's very refreshing to hear two young coaches think like that because there are some older coaches who've been coaching thirty years and still don't get it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer. Um, kind of practice what you preach, and if I'm telling my kids to kind of lay off the officials, um, you know, and then the second the game tips off, I'm screaming and degrading. And, you know, kids kids aren't dumb. They see what you're doing. They see how you handle it. Um, so we've definitely had our moments um, early on where our kids kind of think about getting after the officials. But I always try and address it right then and there, whether I have to burn a timeout or whether I, you know, kind of blow them up and sub them out, whatever that might be, um, depending on the kid, depending on the circumstance. Um, we, we try to, you know, leave the officials alone. Easier said than done. You know, I definitely – I definitely have had my fair share of games where, you know, I'm revved up and I don't necessarily agree with the officials, but, you know, at the end of the day, when that game ends, I, you know, I'm not holding them personal for a win or a loss. There's always something that, you know, I could have done, our kids could have done, whatever the adjustment was, we just didn't make it enough, you know, so. Well, I tell you to reference Dave Odom back to another callback here. He always said, Flies, if you remember this, back when the team camp days were going on around the University of South Carolina, and it wasn't uh, being negative uh, against high school coaches, but he would always say, you coach what you know. You coach what you know. And we'd be watching games like, why are they why are they playing a zone here? You know, And I would equate that to just along this line of, of talking about officials and talking to officials that I know early in my career when I did not know as much, I was on officials a lot because I didn't know what was going on in the game. So I, I had to do something to try to fix the situation. So let me yell at an official. And then the more that I, I studied, the more that I learned, the more I realized like, Talking to this official is not going to change anything. How about I coach my kids? And so I love to hear that for, again, just to yeah, back you, see it, you see it in the youth level a lot, unfortunately, which is almost even, you know, scarier because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm coaching a handful of, of the younger teams um, just to kind of give them a little bit of experience uh, club-wise. Um, but you see it at some of these tournaments where I, I always look – I always look or listen to other coaches and, and always try to listen to what their claim is. Now, I know that sounds silly, but if you're arguing, um, let's say, a three-second violation and your reasoning is that, you know, he got – whatever your whatever your case that you're making is on that argument, if it's not something that's realistic or doesn't apply to actually the rules of the game, it, you kind of kill my credibility. And I think that's how a lot of refs handle the youth level. Um, but, I mean, you should see some parents and kids and coaches at the youth club level – um, and kind of how they handle themselves. So it is hard, you know, when, when high school coaches are getting 
some of these, you know, kids or parents that all they've been exposed to is riding the refs or it's the refs fault that you didn't win the, the fourth grade AAU championship. So we're at, we got to do a better job in my opinion of kind of getting on the kids early. Cause any, any younger kids that I've ever coached that I, you know, we, we never, you know, moan at the refs. Maybe me. I always say, I got your back when push comes to shove. You know, if we have to get, I'll never forget. I was coaching an eighth grade basketball game and uh, the game had really gotten out of hand and the official um, kind of let the game slip. And again, I'm, you know, this is probably year two or three into my high school coaching career. And one of my kids got on a fast break layup shoved in the back, almost to the point where he flipped and the official at the time called a common foul. Um, and I remember at that point, I, I lost it. And, you know, I, I didn't get teed up, but I just, I, you know, I just said, how can we, this is unsafe and blah, blah, blah. But I always say, I have your back when it comes to it, but we're not, we're not moaning at the refs. We just got to play, control what you can control and just keep it moving. But yeah, the youth level, man, it's, it's, it's getting nasty out there. Definitely. So coach, we like to uh, wrap it up this way. Uh, you haven't been coaching that long, but if I talk to a kid that, that played for you five, six years ago, and I talk to a kid that played for you this year, what is that thing they would say that Coach Gallo always says blank? Could be a teaching point. It could be a funny quip. What is the thing you're always, you always hear yourself saying? And you're like, oh, God, I keep saying that. <laughs> That's a, that is a great question, Blas. <laughs> Um, we, we all have them. We all have those. It's like a coaching tick where you just like, you're just like, I keep saying that. Yeah, I would say, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily a, a tick, but I am constantly on, I don't care if you're a freshman, one of my best players, I'm constantly on just effort level and just defense, because I feel like a lot of kids in the high school realm will either go play AAU at the high school level and offense is usually not the problem but it's usually when they get back to high school basketball where the defense needs to be picked up um, especially kids trying to play at the next level but I think if you asked any of my kids you know it would be something along the lines of nitpicking defense because all these kids you know coach you know I'm averaging four threes a game and I'm you know scoring 17 points but on defense they're giving up 22 points and you know I'm on them on that and so I would say defensively would be something that I'm always just nitpicking and and annoying our kids um, because more so when they get to the next level I mean it it's one thing you can put the ball in the hoop but you know if you can play on both ends of the floor and and show up to practice and grind it out you're you're an asset so uh, just try and get kids in in that mentality but I think that would be what they would bring up or or about the couple times where I've like ripped my suit pants um, during games, once versus Preskill, another a following year. A lot of my, a couple of my kids over the last four year stint, um, when asked kind of their favorite moment, it's always like, oh, when Coach Gallo ripped his pants, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so yeah, they, that, you know, going back five years from now, I'd, I'd say a handful of my kids would, would bring up, you know, bring up a couple of those moments. Tell you what, that's back-to-back episodes with yeah. I know G stories. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. It's just it's been yeah. <laughs> this this show just keeps bringing the value. I tell you what, this is this is great. We've learned. You know what? I I always like the like the squat, and sometimes uh, I know it sounds crazy, but you know, I, for some reason, I like the view when crouched. But there's times where I'm up jumping around. Um, 
and then get to, to close that squat position. And again, I've been unlucky two or three times now um, with suit pants, but I still have the one pair of suit, suit pants that I ripped from Crestkill. So it's a, more of a momentum, you know, that I, that I keep with me. So good times. Yeah. We've yet to pick up a sponsor for the podcast, so maybe there's a a tailor either in New Jersey or South yeah, Carolina there you go. can pick up as a <laughs> as a sponsor. So, <laughs> so Coach Gallo, can't thank you enough for for having you for coming on the show. You know, the stories you've told today have just been fantastic. It's been great to get to know you. So, just uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been great. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun, and you know, it's it's always great to get some basketball content during these during these crazy times. That's right. That's right. Well, for my co-host, Chris de Blasio, I am Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games. <laughs>